The terror, which would not end for another 28 years, if it ever did end, began, so far as I know or can tell, with a boat made from a sheet of newspaper floating down a gutter swollen with rain. The boat bobbed, listed, righted itself again, dived bravely through treacherous whirlpools, and continued on its way down Witcham Street toward the traffic light which marked the intersection of Witcham and Jackson. The three vertical lenses on all sides of the traffic light were dark this afternoon in the fall of 1957, and the houses were dark too. There had been steady rain for a week now, and two days ago the winds had come as well. Most sections of Derry had lost their power then, and it was not back on yet. A small boy in a yellow slicker and red galoshes ran cheerfully along beside the newspaper boat. The rain had not stopped, but it was finally slackening. It tapped on the yellow hood of the boy's slicker, sounding to his ears like rain on a shed roof. Comfortable, almost cozy sound. The boy in the yellow slicker was George Denbro. He was six. His brother, William, known to most of the kids at Derry Elementary School, and even to the teachers, who would never have used the nickname to his face, as Stuttering Bill was at home, hacking out the last of a nasty case of influenza. In the autumn of 1957, eight months before the real horrors began, and 28 years before the final showdown, Stuttering Bill was 10 years old. Bill had made the boat, beside which George now ran. This is Dark and Stormy Nights, the podcast where we read the first page, and only the first page, of every novel ever written. I'm your host, Ben Blackberg. And I'm your other host, Ben Levate. And tonight we're talking about the first page of It by Stephen King, published in 1986. And joining us this week is Jess Chotan. Hi, Jess. Hey, how's it going, Vin and Ben? Hi. I think we're we're surviving. <laughs> yeah, that's, I think, the theme of, well, it's the theme of last year for sure. And uh, this year being sort of still in absolute terror from last year, <laughs> surviving is good. Yeah. And we're here to talk about terror today. I know. I'm so excited about this. This was a a, a good year for memes about uh, Pennywise offering us vaccines and us rushing down the sewer drain. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's true. And the the, the um, clown scare ha- is like behind us by, I think, what, like five years at this point? It's been five years since creepy clowns were apparently terrorizing people i i don't know what that was about well i mean let's not get too political here right about i I, listen i was going to talk about a meme where i saw pennywise telling a kid that obama was still president down in the sewers so (laughs) yeah we've also sort of moved past the is pennywise hot discourse so have we (laughs) well some of us have (laughs) i know people who have not but we could just Leave it at that. (laughs) So I'm guessing we have probably varying degrees of familiarity with this book. I've read about half and I haven't actually watched any version. Uh, I have never read uh, anything beyond this first page and I have seen the first 
movie of uh, the recent uh, versions? So I have not read it at all. Um, It has been on various shelves that I've in houses that I've lived in. Um, I was afraid of everything as a kid. It was very thick. And as I got into horror, I liked my horror short. And then as it went on, I preferred it longer. Uh, But I did catch some of the original movie and there was something with a sink full of blood that terrified me. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, Tim Curry in general just terrified me as a kid. But I did catch the miniseries later in life and I watched the newer version. So I'm familiar with that as well. Yeah, the, the reason I've only read half is because I generally like read while going to sleep. And the version I have is that giant hardcover, which is physically difficult to read laying down. A lot of uh, broken glasses uh, as you drifted off to sleep and let the, the book fall on you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll finish it eventually. It's not one of those instances where I'm like, I should stop reading this. It's more one of those instances, instances where I'm like, this is difficult. I'll try later. Like a cue, a training montage of you lifting weights, <laughs> like getting ready. Or just buying a chair. I And I'm like a, a very casual Stephen King fan. You know, I've read, I mean, yeah, casual. <laughs> Meaning, you know, uh, I've read, I don't know, six to ten books of his, um, mm-hmm. which is to say like uh, one-tenth of his uh, output. But uh, yeah, this one, I don't know. I don't know if... Like, by the time I came to horror, like you, I was just kind of thinking like, oh, yes, evil clown, I get it. Or if even just the cover kind of turned me off in this, uh, like, this cover that we have here. So, yeah, I actually have a lot of feelings about the cover itself. Uh, the original cover, the one that you sent me, because it, this, I, do you want to talk about the cover now? Do we want to talk? Do we want to talk about that right now? Sure. So this is going to sound really strange, and I know that we're talking about Stephen King books, so I'm just going to go for it. This cover smells like the 80s. It does. I look at this cover, and I am in, it's like 1983, and I'm sitting in some pizzeria where guys are smoking cigarettes, and that's, that's what, that's what it makes me feel like. It's, You know, I think a lot of um, current pop culture is trying to sort of build upon this, especially like Stranger Things. And um, recently there was a book by Adam Cesare called Clown in a Cornfield, which, you know, they use like that red lettering. And I know it's I know it's a throwback to this. I know it's a callback to this. But just something about the way that the cover is, it's so 80s that. I, I feel like I'm back in a time where there were smoking sections in restaurants. Mm-hmm. That's going to be a, a wonderful callback uh, for our listeners to an episode, possibly a full 20 episodes ago, <laughs> uh, where we had a similar conversation about the uh, the environs in which one might be reading such a book. Um, but for the listeners, this is the cover that is like a sort of like directly downward view of the grate with the water flowing into it and the paper boat. And then coming up through the grate are some green claws. Right. Um, Yeah. And I know that, I know that there are some permutations of what the thing is in it, but it's, it's definitely taking a hard pass on the actual iconic iconography of the novel in favor of something very generic. 
Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting comparison to, you know, the recent movie posters, which are all like focusing on, uh, you know, a balloon and a clown like this, the like green scaly claws. Uh, I mean, is it like gremlins? Like that was, that was what I was thinking. I'm like, is this around, this is pre gremlins, right? We're not thinking this is a gremlin down there because it's wet. So (laughs) yeah, but I think in the, uh, like, especially in the eighties, give like making something green and scaly and clawed was like just the shorthand that everyone was using for horror. And and I think like, it's important to kind of, cause I'm just thinking about this now when this book came out, obviously Pennywise was not the icon, you know, in the clown form was not like the icon that he is now. Yeah. That's a good point. But it is interesting how, I, I, I guess maybe maybe it says something about not just like uh, this particular clown, but like the the iconography of terror. Like like in the past, it could be like, oh, no, there's scary fingers coming at you. Mm. Uh, and now it's just like, oh, there's a clown, but he's in a cornfield or like he's at a bus stop. Like, that's just weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I was just listening to something the other day where someone said that like humans... Uh, our facial recognition uh, software, <laughs> essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, we classify things as, like, dangerous or friendly. And then there's kind of a middle category of just, like, we're not sure yet. Uh, and they were talking about that, like, middle ground as, like, the like the, the creepiness uh, fa- uh, uh, section of your brain, essentially. That, like, something out of place. Um, and I, I don't know, it's just kind of interesting to me that, like, like, if you saw claws coming out of a sewer, you'd be like, oh, I'm getting away from here. But, like, mm-hmm. maybe if you saw, like, a balloon down there, you'd be like, oh, maybe I'm tempted. And, like, that's the the really terrifying part that, like, you don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know. No, none of us are neuroscientists. but uh, <laughs> I mean, and I'm, and I'm thinking about, like, in what was it, like, the early 90s, late 80s, when there were all sorts of rumors that kids were going down in the sewers because they thought the Ninja Turtles lived down there. Boy, we'd really make up any kind of rumor back then, huh? Oh, totally. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Like, hey, did, did you hear the Ninja Turtles are down there? Like, oh, man. Like, I just finished my D&D campaign where I accidentally, like, killed a kid because I got too into character. <laughs> like, like the 80s. It was a, a weird time. I mean, totally. That's what that's what Geraldo told us was going on. And Geraldo knows, like, everything. He would never lead us astray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah i don't know i i don't know that that if i was like let's say i knew nothing about this book and about the story i i don't know that i would pick it up now looking at it like if this was like blank slate and i'm like stephen king it and there wasn't so much history behind what it is and the fact that now everybody tries to emulate it pun intended mm. i don't know that if i knew nothing about it Man, I'm going to keep doing that. <laughs> if I knew nothing yeah. about it, I don't know that I would pick it up now. Yeah, you can sort of tell just by the the font size of his name on the cover that this is uh, the height of Stephen King's powers. And when they knew that his name would do most of the selling. Yeah. I mean, that also probably explains the uh, the, the size of the book, right? Mm-hmm. 
And that's what always kind of put me off from picking him up, even when I like really started to get into horror. I loved um, his short story book. What was it? Is it? Um, I actually loved all of his short story books, but was it Dreams and ni- Dreamscapes and Nightmares? Nightmares and Dreamscapes, maybe? Y- yeah. But I-, I love that. And I loved all of his short stories. But like when I look at like, I looked at the stand and I looked at it. I was like, oh my God, that's so long. And I have so much to do. And yeah, I, I wonder if that's why the, the dark tower series was so successful is because the first book is very short and then they amp up. Yeah. So it sort of locks you in Dream, uh, nightmares and dreamscapes, by the way. Um, mm. Yeah. I, and also um, like, I think when I started to get into Joe Hill, his books were a little bit shorter in the beginning. And I was like, oh, cool. It's Stephen King's son, but, you know, a little bit more condensed. And then recently, I think he's like been like, "Okay, I got you. And now I'm just going to make my book super long, just like dad's. But I'm bump it up. But yeah, I I um, that that's that's the thing. It's like it's very difficult to divorce Stephen King from this original cover. Mm. But that's to say nothing about that's to say nothing um, about the text yeah so um our first line after the chapter title which is after the flood parentheses 1957 close parentheses uh because this is going to be a book that takes place over time that is the thing i know um our first line is this the terror which would not end for another 28 years if it ever did began so far as i know or can tell with a boat made from a sheet of newspaper floating down a gutter swollen with rain. And boy, that's a, that's a sentence with some construction. Yeah. It really grabs you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like it, it, it's doing a lot of things and it's also built in a super weird way where it's got a parenthetical. Well, not technically a parenthetical, but an aside and then another aside just to sort of give you the authorial flavor in between telling you something that is pretty evocative and horrifying. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely got layers and it says a lot because um, it, it gives you, it gives you an idea that this is going to be, yeah, this is going to be something that's going to, this is going to take decades to resolve and it's terrifying and, it sort of just sets you up for the fact that this is, you know, a robust story. Yeah, that's a good point about this first sentence, uh, setting you up for how uh, how many decades uh, this story will take, um, if only in part because it felt like it took uh, a couple years for me to read it. <laughs> There's just something about... Uh, I, I, can't, I couldn't decide which... Which part was the part that like knocked me out and made me have to like reread it? Uh, I think it's the uh, so far as I know or can tell because like so we start with uh, the terror and then we have this big interruption in between the uh, subject of the sentence, the terror, and mm-hmm. the verb began. So like you could say the terror began with a boat uh, made from a sheet of newspaper floating down a gutter swollen with rain, which is not I think uh, a bad sentence because like. It's just a, a boat made from newspaper. Why is that the beginning of the terror? Like, that could be an interesting uh, dynamic question uh, to me. But that, like, all that, all the interruptions, all the, like, 
which would not end for another 28 years, if it ever did end. So far as I know or can tell. Like, there's just a lot of, like, backing up. And maybe, like, honestly, uh, I was expecting to come into this uh, saying, like, yeah, I don't know why this book ever sold, uh, <laughs> other than the fact that it was Stephen King, just from that first sentence. But you guys are kind of convincing me that maybe there is something going on with the uh, how... Uh, delaying and uh, backtracking the sentences like it is kind of setting you up for the story yeah it's a it's a sentence that keeps you off balance mm. because it keeps taking little turns while always going in the same direction it, it, it is also interesting because of course you know the conceit of our podcast is that this is just the first page um mm-hmm. and if we were really coming into this cold like an original reader from sorry 1984 you said 86 oh uh yeah um like i i can't imagine picking this up at my neighborhood uh walden books uh and then continuing although i'm seven at that point so i guess (laughs) like i would probably get some some weird looks from the uh uh the the people who work there seven-year-old going into the stephen king area um Mm. but yeah i don't know I don't know if that sentence would keep me reading and honestly the the next uh paragraph which is all setting information uh, essentially mm-hmm. like uh you know the important information about where the traffic light is or like the kind of convoluted way that he describes that the traffic light was dark uh like the three vertical lenses on all sides of the traffic light were dark could have been said with just the traffic light was dark or like I don't, there's something about the specificity here that like uh it's funny because usually you hear things about how like specificity is the uh the, the soul of narrative mm-hmm. but here i must find it uh, off-putting because like i'm not sure where i'm supposed to be looking and maybe maybe to your point that is part of the 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 goal here that he's kind of keeping you off balance mm-hmm just just to really quickly also like talking about the off balance thing and just sort of really quickly um, mentioning uh, one last thought about the first sentence when you were saying that it keeps you off balance for me, like it sounds like somebody describing PTSD because this is like a traumatic thing that happened over time and you're trying to remember, but you're you you can't because there's just so much so much trauma attached to the memory that you're trying you're like you know so far as i can tell and maybe the trauma is still happening so that's just kind of a a last uh point about um about the first sentence for me Mm. well yeah you know i i did have that question especially again about that part uh uh so far as i know or can tell where i i wondered if this was like uh if this was a first person narrator who was dealing with something and then I uh, committed a cardinal sin of reading the Wikipedia article. Um, <laughs> you know, like I just I just keep breaking uh, with the promise of the podcast. Oh, my God, don't uh, do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I read it after I read this first page, but there was something where I was just like, uh, I wasn't sure who was the narrator here. Uh, and the Wikipedia article claims that much of the book takes place in uh, a third person omniscient uh, narrator which yeah it it requires you to assume that the third person omniscient narrator 
is at the same time uh, essentially just a grizzled old Mainer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it's not Pennywise, right? Right. Right. Okay, we're sure of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, would, that would be a fun trick if in the last chapter he was like, and it was me all along. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I have to say, Ben, I did that as well. I also committed the same cardinal sin. And of course, I kind of had to go back and I was talking a little bit, you know, just kind of refreshing what I knew about the movies. And I found out there's a Hindu version, a Hindu miniseries of it. Oh, that's interesting. That um, uh, it was a Hindu miniseries of it on TV. And I believe it's spelled W-O-H, but I believe it is pronounced Va. And um, obviously, they take a lot of liberties. But now that I know it exists, I have to see it. Yeah, that that sounds like I'm super interested in the cultural implications of this entire thing. Because like, it is also very, like, very much about a time and place. Yeah, it re- <laughs> it really is. Um, there's there's so much. Just not even just horror, but, you know, children's media, which I consider horror adjacent of this time, which has this like setting of a bunch of outcasts absconded upon by bullies and forces around them that they can't control, trying to best these forces. And um, it's for all I all I know about Va is I believe the characters are teenagers and there's there's much more to it, I'm sure. But I now have to watch it. Mm. Well, if we ever do a, a Patreon special content, uh, yeah, that, that, that'll that'll be an episode. <laughs> hmm. So something I think is interesting. We enter the third paragraph is that King describes our our first uh, character here as uh, a small boy in a yellow slicker and red galoshes, and like I guess he could get away with that in 1986, but. Like that kind of description today would just be so cartoonish and goofy that it would really interrupt any kind of mood one was attempting to set, I feel like. Yeah, I feel like, um, and Ben, when you were talking about the uh, the setting and um, talking about the traffic lights uh, before, that was that seemed really awkward to me. I'm going to agree with you on that. Um, however, I did I did like that they that King mentions that, you know, there had been steady rain for a week, and I, but then I got taken as like I got taken out of it because it says most se- sections of Derry lo- had lost power by then, and like immediately I'm like Derry, right? Stephen King book. This is what we're talking about. So, uh, you know, I think like knowing too much about the King verse before coming into this sort of uh, took me out of this first page setting. Uh, excuse me, um, sort of um, uh, viewing or reading. But um, yeah, I like what you said about that. The yellow slicker and red galoshes. That's so like brand kid of the 80s mm-hmm. that you that's just not something. Yeah. Yeah. It's a cartoon picture. I, I do like also uh, that the structure of our conversation about it uh, keeps moving forward and back, uh, <laughs> much like the horror uh, that threatens dairy uh, throughout time. But yeah, no, there is something you're right. Uh, I, I guess I. I I, I kind of uh, I kind of accepted the yellow slicker and red galoshes uh, running cheerfully through the rain uh, just because I was so excited to have a, a human uh, form uh, mm. in this book. Uh, but yeah, I know you guys are right. There's something about like 
like you could just replace that with like a kid, you know, trademark mm. uh, ran cheerfully. Like clip art of a child. <laughs> you're yeah, in yeah. the um, you're in the artist alley of any Comic Con, and there are a million pictures of this with yeah. various pop culture icons behind him. Yeah, there, there there is a guy on TikTok who does these movie Mad Libs where he pretends to be a coked up movie executive. Uh, where he'll he'll just start. By saying like, okay, we're doing a Christopher Nolan movie. Uh, give me, you know, you know, uh, give me a character that, um, oh gosh, Michael Caine plays. Uh, give me, uh, uh, you know, uh, something uh, on the cutting edge of science that doesn't make any sense. Give me like, you know, a structure that doesn't make sense or something like that. And then he'll like fit it into a movie. Uh, and there is something about this, this opening, like... Well, like it, it's a town, uh, there's a big storm, lost power. There's like a, uh, a really excited kid running along. Uh, also his brother has, you know, one of the standard approved 1980s flaws of stuttering. Mm-hmm. Like there's something, something about that, that I don't know that maybe it's that, that question about that specificity that I was talking about mm-hmm. where like there are th- certain things that are described very carefully uh, and then there are certain things that feel really sort of iconic or like unspecified, like the, the two children mentioned on this first page. It's also an item in Stephen King's standard toolbox of a character with some small disability or like very specific speech pattern that he can play with. Like you can you can see if you are familiar with King, some like bits of his toolkit sticking out. When we get to stuttering Bill. Yeah. And like, you know, he had he has to mention also that um, his teachers make fun of him behind his back. Just, you know, so so we know it's like it's not just it's not just the kids that are doing it. It's also his teachers. So adults are adults are also bullies in this story. And you know that right away. But you make a really good point about um, just, you know, stuttering being sort of like um man like a brand 80s disability trope that people are comfortable working with if that makes sense yeah certainly in the 80s like stuttering was a thing that people would slap on characters all the time because no one in the broader culture conceived of it as a disability so much as just a thing yeah that's true yeah it's interesting though also like uh, well, I I wonder if we actually did like a, a deep dive into the eighties. I, I feel like, like Jess pointed out, the fact that his, uh, his teachers make fun of him for stuttering tells us that these kids are like on their own. Mm-hmm. And I feel like similarly, like stuttering is something that we're like, if you, uh, represented a certain ethnic dialect in prose, like that could come off very uh, unsavory. Um, but like stuttering, you can get away with playing with because people are just like, Oh yeah, that's a thing. Like you can get over it or something. Although Stephen King will certainly represent some questionable dialects over the course of his career. (laughs) Oh, for sure. Yeah. And because, because this is the eighties and this is Stephen King. I mean, like we, we know that all of these kids are white, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like we don't really need the description. We're just like, yes, yes. And they're all white. And it is small town, Maine for an extra layer on top of that. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, but you know, I, maybe this is like me being the mom of six-year-olds, but and knowing that this is Stephen King, but knowing that George is six, I'm like, oh no, what's going to happen to George? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I, I have to say, like, I have concern, Yeah, you know? Yeah. The, yeah. the concern is there. Yeah, the presence of an unaccompanied six-year-old is sort of an automatic horror because there are so many ways that that can go downhill and not a lot of ways that it can go well. Mm. And I mean, in the 80s, unaccompanied six-year-olds were like apparently a thing, right? Like like that happened all the time. This is pre-helicopter parents. Yeah, I feel like in any case, six is a little bit. I don't know. I'm not good at telling the ages of children, actually. Oh, really? So I, I draw just myself my kids just do whatever. They, they just, you know, they just walked down to CVS and got candy today. I'm just hmm. kidding. I would, no, there's, there's no way. There's no way. But, yeah. <laughs> Although, uh, speaking of, like, uh, the horror of responsibility, uh, I have to say, so when I read this, you guys are, are, are making me like this uh, first page a little more and, like, being... Uh, after we have this conversation, I, I feel like I would be more uh, enticed about, uh, or uh, I would be more interested in reading on. Um, but even before we talked, that last line of the first page, when we get to Bill had made the boat beside which George now ran, um, maybe it's that like slight threat in the, the third paragraph with an unaccompanied six-year-old. Um, but like, there's something about about this this paragraph that's cut off Mm -hmm. starting with like Bill's responsibility in this issue. Yeah. Um, that, that makes me very interested because like, I mean, so we know what happens, uh, since we have some awareness of the, the, the book and movie, um, Bill goes uh, down to CVS and he gets candy, right? Oh yeah. Uh, Sorry. I mean, George, George gets candy and he's fine. And he goes home and he tells Bill great, boat right yeah uh uh bill uh solves the 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 power outage and uh i think uh a lot of non-white immigrants come to maine (laughs) and everyone welcomes them uh and they capture the fratellis and they save the dog (laughs) (laughs) god now i I do kind of want to see like a stephen king take on uh the goonies uh which is like another like losers club situation Mm -hmm. right it's another outcast it t- and that that's what I was talking about is like these horror adjacent um, 80s properties where it's like you have these groups of outcast kids that face off against something, you know, obviously like um, it Pennywise, you know, is like, I don't know, far more terrifying and devious than Mama Fratelli and her kids, but I mean, she was pretty, she was, she was a piece of work. So I'm not going to give the Goonies um, any less credibility for all of their work on that. But yeah, that would actually be beautiful. Oh my God. I would, I would love to see Stephen King's Goonies. Yeah. That, I feel like that, that eighties theme was essentially in a ways, a lot of uh, like a generation sort of realizing that, the institutions didn't have their back uh, because you do see that everywhere where suddenly like kids aren't, aren't relying on teachers and authority figures. They're sort of oppositional 
in in so many different cases. I actually just recently spoke to um, for um, for the podcast I do for the library, which I'll mention later. Um, I spoke to a guest and we were talking about the concept of horror and the middle class, um, meaning like middle class is a construct and um, just talking about like how in a way these Steven Spielberg, Stephen King stories all sort of do run parallel. Um, you know, you have like you have it, you have Goonies, you have Stand By Me, because there's all of these kids and they're processing the trauma of their parents who went through, um, you know, who went through different wars, I guess. Um, 1957, this is this is very pre-Vietnam, um, but, you know, we're still pretty close to World War II and I guess... Oh, now I'm going to totally like lose my history here. The Korean War. Um, I'm trying to remember when that. Yeah, I think we might be recently post-Korea. Yeah, that sounds that sounds about right. Um, but, you know, you so you have like these kids that are sort of on their own, but like, I don't know, their parents are dealing with other stuff. And I have lots of feelings about that, but I'll stop there. Mm. No, that I mean, that's something that I would not have put together, but the fact that this is 1957 and Bill is 10 years old puts him squarely in the, the, the post-World War II, you know, returning GI baby boom, right? So, like, I, I don't know if this is an issue uh, that comes up in the book, but, like, uh, George, George and Will's parents could have lived through some, some harsh historical moments. That's true. I was just listening to a podcast about uh, this Japanese tradition of good luck flags, where basically someone's family or uh, colleagues or some other association would write essentially good luck on a Japanese flag. Uh, so like everyone would write it mm. uh, and you'd give it to the person and they would take it off with them on their new venture. Uh, so, of course, many Japanese soldiers carried those into war and many U.S. Uh, servicemen uh, took them home as trophies, and now there are th th there's at least one group that is trying to bring these flags uh, back to their original families, um, if everyone agrees to it. Uh, but there's there's something that I, I and the only reason I, I bring that long story up, uh, besides the fact that it was very interesting, and I hope everyone listens to it on ninety nine percent invisible. That's my plug for the week. Then mm -hmm. uh, um, uh, is that. Someone describes having like this great relationship with her uncle who uh, who didn't have any kids. The, the aunt and uncle don't have any kids. The uncle uh, like loves uh, his nibblings. He has a, a boat for them on the lake where they live in Wisconsin or something. Uh, and he's like a great, you know, vacation uncle. Uh, and the, the the one thing you don't do is ask him about the war. Mm. Like, that's the one thing, like, like, we know something happened, but like, we don't know what, like, uh, but there, that is a curious, I wonder, I mean, Stephen King himself is in this cohort. Yeah. Yeah, that's, wow. I actually, and I had never heard of that tradition before. And well, my grandfather actually fought in the Pacific during World War II, but you didn't ever ask him about the war. So mm. there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, I mean, not, not that obviously not all, uh, traumas are alike, but like, 
even people who are not the children of veterans have certain uh, relationships with their parents. Um, like I know, you know, well, I know from the movie, there, there's a character uh, here in the book, one of the losers who's Jewish, right? Mm-hmm. And so like, uh, and there's the character who's uh, black. I think that's changed for the film. Actually. I, I, I heard some things changed. Mm. Uh, there, there was something I remember reading, but uh, <laughs> actually one thing I remember reading was that like in the book later than uh, this first page, there's like an orgy among the teenagers uh, or children. That is also a thing that I have heard. I had not reached that point. Yes. <laughs> that, that's one of those things where someone's like, oh, they took that out of the, the movie. And I'm like, well, that, yes. Yes, they would. That's a, that's would a, do that. that's a good choice. Uh, yeah, I... I think like, and I've read like interviews with Stephen King, I think where he's been like, no, 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 it's cool because this is the end of their childhood. And I'm just like, dude, no, just okay. Like, just like, no. Yeah. But <laughs> uh, at least in this first page, I, I don't think there's anything uh, problematic or cringeworthy uh, necessarily. Yeah, there's no orgies in this hmm. first page for sure. <laughs> And no questionable dialects. No, no questionable dialect. Although we we do, and you know, it's it is a very it is a very. Um, I don't know. I I think like even though yeah, like you know, stuttering is one of those approved things that you can sort of that that was represented in the eighties. Also, thinking about um, the nineteen fifties, and even like even now, it's sort of framed to depict the character is weak and you know that you know not only is bill like not only does he stutter and not only do the kids make fun of him the teachers make fun of him he's also getting over being very very sick mm-hmm. and his brother is unaccompanied following the boat that he made towards the sewer mm. yeah bill who we don't even see on this page uh is is portrayed as extremely vulnerable both in terms of uh, his physical state and uh essentially the the karmic wheel of guilt that's on his back right now yeah i do not want to be bill in the next three pages Mm -hmm. i don't want to be george either (laughs) that's true i think george does have it a little bit worse yeah i i I only want to be the the dark traffic light that sounds that sounds very (laughs) relaxing in 2021 yeah uh although who knows with the infrastructure uh being what it is uh i'm also curious just sorry i i I, i'm spinning out on this idea of like you know uh as stephen king gets more popular and uh theoretically uh is able to strong arm his editor uh into letting things pass um Mm -hmm. which would result in you know uh, 1100 pages uh or so of this book um I do wonder if uh, <laughs> I'm just imagining a situation where you got the editor drunk and the editor said like, like, you think I didn't do anything, but like I took out some like really racist dialect on this first page that was also in an orgy. <laughs> and like, you know, we're, you know, we're all like, oh, Stephen King, like, you know, he's a little self-indulgent here. It's like, no, like, you don't know what I took out. Yeah, like, it could be fascinating to see the editor to talk to the editor of the Dark Tower series where Stephen King literally does a full-blown self-insert. I mean, you know, if Stephen King can't do a self-insert, 
at this point in his career. Mm. Yeah. I, I, I don't want our uh, first episode on Stephen King to go through uh, the entirety of his corpus, but like that, that self-insert is one of my favorite things of his, I think. <laughs> but that's probably a topic for another day. Yeah. Speaking of, we are pushing up on time. Uh, anyone have any closing thoughts? I think I want to read it, like the full thing. I think I do. That's my closing thought. Yeah, definitely the the first half or so that I read is is solid. Yeah, that that has been my experience with with a lot of Stephen King, uh, where like I'll start reading and I'm like, am I really going to get into this? And then like halfway through, I'm just like, I don't know how. Like I just I I care about this poor schlub uh, <laughs> and this relationship. Yeah, I'm definitely, I'm definitely, I think, invested. And, you know, I think now that I've, now that I've seen the films, which you're supposed to not do um, as a reader, but I do, (laughs) and I have, um, I think I'm going to actually pick it up because it is on my shelf downstairs. And this might be the time. is Is it with the same cover? Yes, it is. It is. It is from my husband's house. Um, when he was a kid. So, yes. Oh, so it's that big-ass hardcover, huh? It totally is. Yes. Oh, man. It's nice. It's so big. It's so big. So big. Well, uh, we'll ha- have to get a picture of you reading it for uh, our uh, Instagram. I will I will get that picture for you. <laughs> speaking of horrors, uh, all of the social media. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And speaking of social media, uh, where can folks find you? Uh, me? Yes. Oh, me. Um, Well, they can find us. (laughs) So I'm personally not on social media, believe it or not. However, uh, I am one of many co-hosts for Turn the Page podcast from the Syosset Public Library. Uh, So you can find us on Twitter at SPL Turn the Page. And uh, the podcast itself is wonderful. We are a library, a public library. So uh, the philosophy behind the podcast is that you can pretty much find anything of interest at a library. So on Turn the Page, uh, we pretty much um, go for lots of um, lots of topics that people might find interesting. Of course, we have authors that we interview. However, we've also interviewed other podcasters. We've interviewed celebrities. We've interviewed obscurities um, such as like Atlas Obscura. Um, we've interviewed people from Bud- BuzzFeed Books. Uh, pretty much anything that we think that the public would find interesting because as a public library, we are not just one thing. So once again, uh, you can find us at SPL, turn the page on Twitter, and there's a link to the podcast website there. Thanks for joining us on Dark and Stormy Nights. I've been your host, Ben Blackberg, and you can find me on Twitter at InCatastrophe. And I've been your other host, Ben LeBate. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Reciprocity. You can find the games that I write at MrReciprocity.itch.io. And you can find my other podcast, The Chimera, at TheChimera.space, on Twitter at ChimeraPod, or on your podcast app of choice. For show updates, follow Dark Knights Reads on Twitter or visit darknightsreads.com. And we'll meet you back here next week. <laughs>